0: Thanks for listening to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins, in partnership with Briefcase News, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media montage. Hello, and welcome to Long Time Shorts, a new series of shorter than usual episodes of A Long Time in Finance each one of which gives you a quick hit of financials history from the debt jubilee of ancient Babylon to the latest crypto calamities. In today's episode, I'm going to transport you back in time to a time... How exciting. ...in the 1980s. It's an era, almost impossibly remote from our current time, hmm. with antediluvian technology, fax machines. Do you remember them? Yes. Mm. People who read... Papery things called newspapers had to come out once a day. mobiles the size of house bricks that had to be carried around in suitcases. You must have had one of those back in the back in the day. Didn't no, you? I,
1: had, I had the, the, the first, very first handheld ones. <laughs> really. Fortunately, the battery would only last about a quarter of an hour. Mm. if you were using it, which mm. was just as well, because they were so heavy that your arm was about to fall off by the time it, the battery went.
0: Right, so back when you were lugging around your steam-powered mobile phone, <laughs> a French insurance company called La Baie Vie, which means apparently bee's life, dreamt up a savings policy for its rich customers, which it called, not rather prosaically in my view, given the story i'm about to tell you the fixed price arbitrage life insurance contract snappy little title yeah, i thought that was pretty smart yeah and it went like this the contract la vie like lots of insurers sold savings products to its customers and it had a number of investment funds into which the policyholders could put their money so there was like a french one based on the french stock market index a japanese one a bond fund maybe whatever And once a week, for each of these funds, it would publish their prices. Very forward-looking, I would say. I think there's a remarkable (laughs) remarkable (laughs) operation they were running there. But once that price was published, and up to a point, a week hence, when the next week's prices came out, you could notify the insurer, La V, and switch your money from one fund into another at the previous week's posted price.
1: God. Interesting is. idea,
0: isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Perhaps you can see the floor. <laughs> <Can> <laughs> Wait a floor? minute. yes. I- <laughs> <laughs> so the floor is very simple. If the fund shot up in the days between one price being published and the next, you could buy into it. at the old price and thus pocketing a risk-free gain. It's called 2020 hindsight investment. Yeah. The best kind, I think.
1: I think so, yes. So it always say- never fails.
0: So let's say the Nikkei 225, which is the Japanese stock market index, rises 5% during the week. All you as the investor had to do was to tell L'Abbé V to move your investments into its Japanese fund at the price before the market moved, and you were absolutely in clover. It's a bit like being able to go back and bet on the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe after the race has finished. So why on earth would an insurance company do this? Yeah, the I mean, ideas. I no, literally, I, think, I find myself. I literally find myself scratching my head on this one.
1: Yeah, I suppose they hoped that after a bit, the enthusiasm for making a small turn, which is presumably what it would be, each week. That's what they thought. Yes, uh, would uh, the, the their enthusiasm would wane, and yeah. they'd get stuck in one, or they'd make some technical error, which essentially stopped the process.
0: Well, I think there is some truth in that. I think basically. Most people who w- live in the world of money operate on the assumption that fiddling around with your investments is incredibly boring and most people can't be bothered to do it. The argument in this case, the, the I've had a look at some of the stories about La Bévie and this particular fund and the individual I'm going to talk to you about in a second who's got the splendid name of Max Hervé Georges. The assumption is that insurance companies offered these sort of crazy products because they really wanted rich people's money and they figured that offering them some sort of privileged sort of feel to the whole thing would make them want to put their money with La V rather than another insurance company. But in this case, of course, La Baie-Vie ended up rather wishing they had put their money with another insurance yeah, company. Kind. So you might ask yourself, why did the La Bévie think that no one would ever cotton on and start to actually systematically strip them of all their money? And the answer was that basically the antediluvian era in which we were then operating, where prices on stock markets weren't live. You had to call your broker if you wanted to find out what was going on or send them a fax. Yeah. Trades could take days to be processed. And to be fair to Av, there were lots of other insurance companies offering equally stupid products. But then technology and history intervened. And as you know, being a man of a certain vintage <laughs> <laughs> Sorry the speak pension, up I can't hear you <laughs> The pension <laughs> pensions industry and life insurance industry operates over many decades it's a a marathon not a sprint
1: Yes if only uh, That's a different Well I read I read there. this
0: thi- I read this thing I think the last person to benefit from a Civil War an American Civil War pension military pension died in about 2010 which is the most incredible thing. If you think somebody was still yeah. being paid yeah. for a contract that was originally set up in 1865. So the very long term of these contracts, in this case, came back to bite L'Abbé rather quickly. It set up the contract in the 80s. In the 1990s, of course, along comes a whole lot of technological change in the form of something called the internet. More and more people use it. New services are dreamt up to get people to go online. And among those services is publishing real-time financial information. And computers also mean that trading and settlement systems speed up. You might have thought at this point that our friends at B.E. Life had second thoughts about their business model. but Presumably
1: it was too late by then.
0: Ah, well, no. They didn't even stop selling it till the end of the the 90s. God, well, why
1: didn't I get in? (laughs) No, you're just not paying attention.
0: (laughs) Anyway, in 1997... L'Abbé V is still selling his policy, which among a certain sort of French connoisseur is now known as Golden Tickets, rather like Mr. Willy Wonka's Golden Tickets.
1: Oh, well, exactly. It's exactly and, what they are.
0: And in that year, the father of a man who will come to play a major part in his story, Max Hervé Georges, and the father is a French businessman, took out policies for his entire family, depositing the princely sum of 8,000 euros in the name of young Max Hervé, who was then seven. Shortly afterwards, L'Abbé V, obviously seeing the writing on the wall from this disastrous thing they've done, sell themselves to an, a British insurer called Commercial <laughs> Union, which later becomes Aviva. But L'Abbé V also wakes up and stops selling the product, by which stage, stage there are thousands of these things out there All in the hands of, 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 the, of the cream of French society, including those mm-hmm. belonging, obviously, to the famille Georges. Basically, at this point, La Vie decides, or Aviva, as it really now is, decides they've got to do something to try and draw the sting of this because they can see that it's going to become a very expensive exercise, yes. <laughs> a very expensive teachable moment for them. <laughs> so what they do is they do something which is incredibly simple. They write to all the policy holders and they, they offer them a new contract. And a hundred francs to sign it. Compensation. And almost all of them sign it. They just <laughs> get, francs. They just write away these <laughs> uh, croesus like riches in the future for a hundred bloody francs.
1: <laughs> but
0: our hero, Max Hervé and his dad, they don't fall for this sort of nonsense. And they basically turn down the new contract and stick with the one they have. And they, they also start basically combing through the financial pages or whatever the financial internet find the best switch f- and finding the best switch every week yes. and, and, and for a long time i think this is pretty much all the family Georges do is sit at home <laughs> well, ca- well, coming through coming through process. you know they
1: have to work hard to <laughs> Yeah, yeah uh, no, no no
0: it's not nothing and we'll we'll find it gets increasingly difficult for them to persuade aviva as it now is <laughs> take, that to take, take their the instructions so they carry on doing this aviva by this stage having failed to get everyone to sign up to the 100-franc deal, they start to impose new rules. So first of all, they say, you can't just send us a fax for the instructions. You have to send us a letter. And then they say, basically, and they say they want to impose limits on how big the switches can be. But of course, none of this is in the original documentation. And so what follows is an enormously long string of legal cases between... Not just the famille Georges, but also some other lucky holders of golden tickets. Who basically, are smart enough to a, see, yeah. They're
1: uh, yeah.
0: fighting a rearguard action to preserve the value of their investments. And one after another, these cases come to the French courts and go all the way up to the, the, the very Supreme Court, the Court de Cassation. And in each case, the courts rule that, yes, this is a very stupid policy, but it's entirely legal. So Aviva left basically still holding this enormous bag of disaster.
1: <laughs> well, this ever-growing bag, that's the point. And, I mean.
0: and Mr. George, Mr. Max Alvey. nobody really knows how much his policy is worth because Aviva just basically stopped communicating. But in 2007, there was a point after one of these l- legal cases where they were instructed that they had to calculate the value of it. And they came up with a family claim of about 9 million euros. But the key point was that the compound annual growth rate since 1997, so in the first 10 years of the policy, was 68%. So people have, of course, thrown these numbers forward, assuming that Max yeah. LV and his uh, family members are no less shrewd in looking into <laughs> the past than they proved in the first decade and said, so, well, what if it carries on at 68%? And I think the numbers are that he himself could already be worth more than a billion euros. And he, of course, he's still quite young. He's only 33. So he's he's referred to himself as Aviva's worst nightmare, because he could be living for decades. Absolutely. Um, but
1: surely, if, it's, if the liability is a billion euros, mm. why do they not have to declare that as a material oh, but this, item now you're in the into,
0: Now, Well, I suspect that they argue that they are still
1: pursuing some sort of legal
0: um, landmark. But there are some very funny numbers in the Aviva France accounts, which oh. seems to suggest there is a big liability in there somewhere. It's just not very clearly <laughs> expressed because obviously they don't want to say Max, Hervé, Georges and friends <laughs> minus, minus 10 billion euros or something. Otherwise, they will... Uh, Get a bit depressed, and their investors might get a bit depressed. Well, I
1: think they'd probably just end up just giving in the company.
0: Well, that some people think that's where things are going in in the yeah. long run. Because I will come in a second, but so Aviva, obviously is holding this absolute disaster, sells its French business in 2020, but it can't sell the liability of Max Hervé and his friends and the golden ticket holders. I'm not surprised, and so it has buyer. to it has to keep that liability. Yeah. And it's not hard. I mean, there's a famous quote from Einstein about how people who understand compound interest <laughs> receive it, whereas those who don't are doomed to pay it. And actually, well, this could be the greatest ever demonstration of that iron law of the universe. Because let's assume that the 68% compound growth rate holds good. By 2030, if that is true, Max Hervey himself could have made $130 billion out of his original investment <laughs> i i think and i, I th- think that's highly
1: likely if I that think, does th- happen he will own the company i think that's a sort of heroic assumption really but um it doesn't have to grow anything like as fast as that to overwhelm the company you are a tremendous um, spoil sport yeah but um <laughs> the interesting thing is that they it's such a serious and long-term disaster mm. for them mm. that you'd have thought that it was the thing that they would have to talk about every time they produced accounts, well, because the, the potential liability would easily overwhelm them.
0: The only thing I'd say on that is other insurance companies have the, have had the same thing. What they have tended to do is to buy people out of their liability. So you, they go to Max Elvey, or his equivalent, and okay. they say... Here's ten million. Just bugger off. Have and, they not and tried look, to do that? No. This is the whole point. They've oh. never made an offer because they say the contract is invalid. So this end game could indeed oh, happen right. at some point. They will say to they will run up the white flag and say we'll pay you what, whatever it needs. But and, it, but the basic problem is Max Hervé, I think is he's now a hedge fund manager. So I think the, the negotiations are going to be pretty
1: unpleasant. Yeah. Quite.
0: Well, not for him, but for them. I
1: think they will both have to employ some extremely expensive lawyers. But it sounds to me, from what you've said, is that they've exhausted most of the obvious legal routes already.
0: Yeah. So anyway, message to insurers out there, don't do it. If you ever think about issuing golden
1: tickets, (laughs) think again. (laughs) That was a Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Production and editing by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is briefcase.news. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on your podcast app as that will help new listeners find us.